says, get that India, big boy. Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Tip Sheet. The finals are here, ladies and gentlemen, and we're all geared up to talk footy, to talk sudden death football for the Parramatta Reels. I'm your host, John, also known as 4020. Joining me, as always, is my good mate, 60s. 60s, it is always a pleasure to have you on board, even sweeter when we're talking postseason. Oh, mate, how good is it to be able to have your team in finals football Probably the only thing that would be better is if we were actually able to get out and see the games yeah, in person. Um, but uh, it is what it is. And uh, our, our hellos to anyone out there who's feeling the same frustrations and also our our best wishes to anyone that's doing it tough at this time of the year. And hopefully a bit of chat about football can brighten the day. Yeah, this one should have been scheduled for Bankwest Stadium on a Sunday afternoon. It would have been absolutely glorious given that the weather in Sydney has taken a really positive turn in the last couple of days. But unfortunately... We're in the Queensland bubble, but still, to be alive at this time of the year with postseason football, you know, that's all you can ask for when you're supporting a team. And yeah, for Parramatta, they've got a real shot to make a run now. So uh, the Eels themselves welcome back a big set of reinforcements before those players rested, plus Reagan Campbell-Gillard coming back. And we'll talk about that more uh, in our own little preview section. But uh, in that sort of theme of reinforcements and calling in the big guns, I think you've got something teed up for us, mate. Given that it's finals time, we've decided to bring in the big guns with our preview episode of the tip sheet. And we're pleased to say that one of the most highly respected men in the world of rugby league is joining us today to share his observations and his knowledge. Bernie Gurr, welcome again to the tip sheet. Morning, boys. How are you? Yeah, good, mate. Good. Uh, Now, before we look ahead to this weekend, uh, could we just take a quick look back? Uh, The Eels had been on a, a bit of a run of bad form there for a while, and they turned that around firstly with a, a win over the Cowboys and then what was really a statement win over the Storm. Did that victory over the Storm mean anything more than two points to the team? Absolutely. Yeah, I think that, that win was critical. I think, uh, you know, for the prior month or maybe four to six weeks, the team had not been playing with confidence. They'd, they'd started to lose their confidence and belief. And, you know, confidence is a very elusive commodity in uh, professional sport. It can come and go very quickly. And if someone could pinpoint the reason why, they'd be, they'd be a very rich person. Yeah. Um, yeah. The Melbourne game was critical. Oh, look, the Cowboys game was solid. We did what we had to do. We just needed to win. We didn't need to do anything fancy, just win the game, which we did. The Melbourne game was absolutely important. You can see even, you know, even um, – it appears that the from the players now, their body language, and you hear them interviewed now following the Melbourne win, there's a that inner confidence and beliefs being restored, and it also helped to play some of our players back into a bit of form. So, you know, we we played aggressively, we played to our strengths, we played a power game, what people now seem to refer to as the power footy way. And in many ways we at Melbourne Melbourne. Um, we got into it was a real dogfight that game, and we won it four tries to two. Um it, look, it was an impressive win, and even people that don't normally speak very highly of Parramatta, even when we're travelling well, um, they were very, very complimentary of that performance. It was the type of performance that, um, you know, abs- the timing could not have been better. So, yeah, that, that win meant a lot to our team and to our players and also to our club. I think that started to have a trickle-down effect the following week when the young blokes came in. I'm sure training the week after Melbourne was, was pretty buoyant. And taking that 
spirit of the entire club and all the players that we have up there in the bubble, I think that flowed onto the Panthers game where the Panthers came to play. They were, I thought it was a, a monumental effort against the Panthers. They were very committed. You could tell they came to play. We demonstrated, you know, great spirit within the broader group. And I thought, you know, that first half effort against a quality side, the team I think that's a big chance to win the comp in the Panthers, it was a monumental effort to credit to the club and the players, and particularly a lot of those players hadn't played a lot of footy. You know, it was I thought, you know, Ray Stone was uh, he was terrific. Just talk, you know, looking at Ray play, he's got clearly one of the best tackle techniques in the, in the NRL. He reminds me a lot, and it's probably dating myself here, but Bunny Riley who played at the Roosters. Yeah. Um, Dumpy Stevens, who played at the Roosters and came to Parramatta in 81 and played in the first premiership winning team ever for Parramatta in 81. Jack Gibson brought him over um, 40 years ago. It's uh, Time's gone quick there, but Stoney has a very similar tackle technique to those two great defenders. I thought Will Smith, with his competitiveness, his kicking, you know, Will's just demonstrated again what a great clubman he is. I think, you know, um, young Makatawa's improving in the front row. Hayes Dunster's improving. Uh, it was good to see a couple of those other young fellas get a run. Um, Loizu and uh, Rodwell. Loizu particularly is one of those young fellas that we've all seen run around in the junior rep program over the last three or four years. And we're hoping he, he would get to the first grade, similar to um, Hayes Dunster. So, yeah, look, the, the, those two weeks, and albeit Pan, the Panthers, that they scored five tries in the second half. They got away on it. But the class tells you they're basically playing our you know, nearly a reserve grade side. So I thought it was a great effort by our blokes. But, yeah, coming back to your initial question, that Melbourne game, that's been the catalyst of a, of a rebuilding of our confidence and belief. That result, what, I was going to I was say. just going to say, I was sorry, just for <laughs> uh, interrupting, John, because I wanted to just dig a little bit further with Bernie on, on that Melbourne game because the thing that um, really grabbed my thoughts since then was the level of control that we had in that game over the storm, it really seemed like a match where we dictated how the game was going to be played from pretty much from the start and then all the way through. And, and reflecting on it, I, that that to me was uh, uh, the statement that came out of it, was that we could play a team like the storm and actually control how the game was going to be played. Yeah, when you're playing the, like the Panthers Storm, and in particularly that Storm game, you have to play with energy. If you don't play with energy, they will play with energy, and they've got a lot of talent. You put talent with energy, and you're going to, you know, that's, that's a couple of the key factors in how Melbourne perform week in, week out. So we played with a lot of energy, a lot of aggression. Rugby league's an aggressive sport. You have to attack the ball carriers, and we did that. Mm -hmm. The other thing we do, and it cuts to your point about control, is we kick very well. And... In the modern game of rugby league, people underestimate the importance of the, of the kicking game. Um, I'm not sure what sort of time teams dedicate to practising the kicking game, but if they're not dedicating a lot of time to the kicking game, whether that's the long kicking game, whether that's the short kicking game, the attacking kicks, the grubbers, the chips, the bombs, if you're not dedicating a lot of time and getting your kicking game right now, when you come up against the good teams, you will not be able to exert pressure. Good kicking means good pressure, and a good kick can actually make a poor set end in a very good way if you have a good kick on the end of it. So long kicking, short kicking, and also kick um, diffusal, you know, diffusing bombs, etc., diffusing grubbers of the other team. 
everything around the kicking game, actually, when you're kicking or when you're receiving kicking, is, I think, a still a slightly underrated part of the game. And that's an area that obviously Mitchell Moses has excelled in for some time, being probably among the top three halves in the NRL for both his short and long kicking game. But on the same token, I think that's the area that Dylan Brown's made the most strides in this year has been honing his kicking game because I felt that was a, a real weakness of his uh, coming out of 2020. And while he still isn't you know, as good as Mitchell Moses by any means, it feels like he's been a, a better augment to Mitch's kicking game now, as a, particularly as an attacking option inside the opponent's half. Yeah, that's a fair point. And, you know, now that Dylan's back on the left side, and I, I, I'm really happy they've gone back to Dylan on the left and Mitchell on the right, um, I'd still like to see them play together in attack a little more, but we're seeing some of that now. I think that's good coaching to have them playing together more. But with respect to the kicking by Dylan, um, you have to have both halves that can kick well, and, and hopefully you also have a, a hooker that can, can chip in occasionally with a bit of kicking. But, yeah, I think Dylan... Dylan has good natural touch on his kicking. He's always been a, a, a quite a good player at, at uh, in the attacking kicks of getting the ball to sit down in the end goal. But, you know, he needs to work on his long kicking. Uh, but, yeah, I think the point is that he has improved his kicking. And if you have two halves that can kick at an elite level, it it is an absolute plus for your team. And just wrapping up that win against the Storm, Psychologically, you can't really be undersold how important it is because just the the significance of getting a sweep over Melbourne the regulation season is very rare. It also ended their historic run in Queensland. I think they had thirty straight games of victories in in Queensland between the uh, seasons they've been stationed up there and, and just playing games there. But the other thing is, is that you know coming into the postseason that the grand final, one way or another, runs through Melbourne, and having that, it's not even having the psychological edge over them because Melbourne just they can reset and and look after themselves, but knowing in your own house that you can match it up physically and, and perhaps most importantly, uh, the first time we've really nullified Melbourne's speed. They've always troubled us with their speedy outside backs and this is the first time that our game plan just suffocated them in that regard. Yeah, they did. I, look, I, to be fair, I don't think their attacking game, particularly their sweet plays down the left-hand side of the field, were quite as precise as they normally were. But I think our defence had a bit to do with that. I thought Will Penasini on Justin Ollum was awesome, particularly for a young guy. Ollum's arguably the best left centre week in, week out in the NRL, and he's a tough, intimidating customer to deal with, particularly for a young player like Will. But I thought Will Penasini's physicality was very good, number one. The other thing, number two for a young player, I thought his reading of defence. Now, clearly, you know, it's sort of become a bit of a narrative around Parramatta from some of the critics that our right side defence over the last two or three years has been a little dusty. Irrespective of all that, with Will there against Melbourne, who has such a clinical offence, they don't when they get when they go to their positions on the field and then sweep down the left side, they don't miss very often. Justin Ollum's a key part of that. Pappenhausen sweeping around, their fullback sweeping around is a key part of that. So, to your point, we negated that very well. Full marks to uh, Will Penasini. I thought he was terrific. Now, you already gave a shout-out to some of the uh, young prospects and hungry fringe NRL talent that had a chance to step up against the Penrith Panthers. So, I'll go in a slightly different direction. Uh, do you think that any of the guys that played that game did enough to force their way into a team that beat Melbourne the week before I think at least some of them made it pretty a pretty interesting discussion for Brad Arthur in the selection panel. Yeah, the selections for, for this week were, were always going to be very difficult, and quite frankly, um, that's a, that's a great thing to be able to have the bulk of your players outside of Reed Marnie and Mike Acevedo. We have all our other players available now. 
to have two out is a little tough, but I mean, there's a lot of teams that have even more out than that. So the selections are going to be tough. I think Makatawa, he's a big, imposing physical presence. And I think, well, I see now he's been named on the bench and Kafusi's on the extended bench. I thought Oregon Kafusi's been terrific recently. So he, he would, if, the, if, the, if we play it that way and, and the team comes out that way, he'd deem himself a little unlucky. But yeah, some really tough selections there. I think. I think. Uh, well, clearly, Makatawa's got the spot over Kafusi, mm. and uh, Penasini's got the spot over Opacek. I agree with both of those. Not that the other guys don't deserve it, as I just said. Oregon, I love Oregon Kafusi. I think he's going to be a good player for us for a long time, and a great young man. But um, they are tough decisions. But I think Brad's got it right. Um, I'd, you'd, you'd be happy either way, but uh, I think. Just looking at this Newcastle team, the team to play Newcastle, it's a big, strong side. It's a big, aggressive side, even down to the bench. Like, you've got Stone, RCG's back, Paulo's back, Marada's in the starting lineup, Nathan Brown, Makatoa. It is a big, aggressive, physically intimidating side, which may just, uh, in a very simple way, um, indicate how Parramatta and Brad Arthur are going to attack this game. And you know, again, coming back to that Parramatta footy, that tough, straight through the middle, dominate the middle of the field with a physical presence. Um, the very fact that uh, Papa Lee's been pushed to the bench um, is a sign that we've got nearly all of our forwards available. Papa Lee, I think, uh, has had an absolutely outstanding season for us. What a great season he's had. I think he's just been a little off in the last month. and Not, not bad by any means, but a little off and maybe... You know, moving him from the edge to the middles had a little dampener on his performances. But I think he'll be up for this one, and he could be very explosive for us off the bench. I made a similar observation, Bernie. I feel like the combination between playing very big minutes, you know, often 80 or, or close enough, on top of the extra work rate for the middle, has he, he's still very high quality, but it's just taken off that that little extra that he's had to some of his um, games earlier in the season. So moving to the bench where you can allow him to just – reduce that workload capacity a little bit and focus on the quality might be a something of a masterstroke. And also it gives you the flexibility to play him on the edge or middle as the game, you know, cries for it because of he's got yeah. that because of that versatility. Well the way that the bench has been constructed, I think Brad wants Papa Lee and Makatoa to, to give um RCG and Junior a rest because then you've got Bryce Cartwright who um Whilst Bryce had a few errors in his game last week, he still he still came to the game with a physicality. Now, that wasn't what he was known for prior to coming to the Eels. So one of the real things when I look into the detail of our performances this year is that he's really improved his physicality at the Eels this year. He never used to take the tough run and smash into the defence. And even last week, he made a, he made a terrific hit on one of the, one of the uh, Panthers players. I think that's BA's influence. He wants all his players to commit to the game physically. So I think... I like to see Cardi come on and play in that roving 13, maybe give Nathan Brown uh, a bit of a rest in the last 15 minutes of each each half. He's extremely skillful, and he should be looking for those short side opportunities. The last try we scored against Melbourne was cut right down the short side. Yeah, 60s yeah. was um, right on that when we did our post-match analysis. Um, he, he is. But the very, he's really a number six playing in a bigger jersey. Yeah. He has those skills. He has he has the footy IQ to identify those. So those short side opportunities down the left side with Cardi and on the right side with Mitchell Moses, there there. If you can get one or two of those a half, um, 
they can be game changers. And in the Melbourne game, it actually wrapped up the game with Cardi going down that short side yeah. and then uh, Jack Lusick. Yep. But, you know, I look at, you know, uh, Ryan Madison's probably a victim of the fact that he's had not much football recently. Uh, um, so, you know, it shows the strength of our forward pack and our bench if uh, Ryan can't can't uh, get into the 17. But, wait, you know, I don't, maybe there's some – I'm not close to it, obviously, so I'm not sure whether there's anyone in doubt and Ryan could potentially come in. Yeah, it's it's been something where Brad's never been one to play ducks and drakes with his selections too much. Generally, the seventeen that's named gets named unless there is that injury that someone's carrying, and then he's forced on a a last minute change. But Correct. I, I when I was thinking about the selections, I it came down to me that that back row choice was going to determine the bench choices and then who misses out because the moment that Brad's gone for Murata on the edge and I was all for Murata being on the edge, that pretty much determined that someone like Makatoa was a good chance of earning a spot on the bench and then that was going to mean um, whoever wasn't selected in the as a starting back rower might have been up against having a because like you, I'm also a big fan of Cartwright because I think he offers a point of difference and that ability to count numbers on uh, one side of the ruck or sometimes with car both sides of the ruck. Um, it, I, I think that's critical for a bench player to come on and, and to be able to inject themselves in that way. In big games against the best teams who are always the better defensive teams, you... You just need something. You need a spark occasionally where someone individually can just do something that other players can't do. Cartwright, he can do that. Yes, we know he's got a couple of errors in him occasionally because he sometimes overplays his hand, but I'm a fan of his. I think BA's got him on a really good development pathway of really improving his game. Back to Murata, I think he's a he's a um, an inspired selection on the right side. I think he's handled right centre before, so he knows that. He's a terrific hole runner. With Mitchell Moses and Mitchell's got extremely good football instincts, I can see Murata spearing the holes off Mitchell. So I love Murata starting. And I think if I was Mitchell Moses, I'd, I'd love to have Murata spearing in holes as a ball player inside. Yeah, well, we're, we've actually identified Murata um, uh, as someone we want to speak to you a little bit uh, more about in this, uh, in this chat. But just getting on to where we finished as well, there's a bit of a narrative out there that the Eels are better served by finishing out of the top four. Is that something that you agree with? No, look, I can understand where some people believe that uh, because, you know, then it gives them a chance against, you know, teams, team seven and team seven and eight this year have had negative for and against. And there's this been this sort of macro narrative around how poor the competition is when you get past the top six teams. But look, the reality is this. There's always been a couple of teams that have, you know, or regularly that looked at or ended up at the back end of the eight and really got a chance to win the comp. But the reality is this. The history says you can't, it's very difficult to win the comp from outside the top four. So it's going to take an extremely good effort for any team to do that. You've got to win four weeks in a row playing the very best teams in knockout situations. By definition, that's very difficult. If you finish fourth, you have three games. If you win in week one when you're in the top four, 
you get a break, you freshen up again, and then you're literally one game away from the grand final. So I do not necessarily subscribe to that. And when I looked at the different paths you have to take, whether you finish fourth or fifth, there's no easy path either way. You know, you, you're going to be playing the very best teams and it, it's going to be extremely difficult. But no, I think I'll, I'll go with the data and history and say I'd always want to finish top four. Now, does that mean the Eels or the Roosters can't win from fifth or sixth? No, someone's going to do it eventually. And, you know, this has been a pretty wacky, quirky NRL competition in a very unique period of time during the pandemic. So who knows? Maybe this is the year we do it. And you only have to win them one game at a time. And that's yep. the way the, mm-hmm. the Roosters, who have finished fifth and sixth, will take it. So I think it's going to be an absolutely fascinating playoff series. Yeah, I, I'm i also someone that likes to be in that top four from the point of view of you get through that first that first week and you're in a grand final qualifier. Yep. So that's, you've just got that, that one more match to get to the, the big day. Um However, I had it pointed out to me that if we finish fourth, that we would have to, in one season, beat the Storm four times in all likelihood because you'd play them in the first yeah first week, and week then of the, of the finals, they'd go through and then to the in grand all final. likelihood, they'd be, they'd be yeah. just as likely to get through <laughs> on the other side of the draw then. So I can't well, – and, and it was just put to me, who yeah, would beat can... the Storm four, team, four times in a season? <laughs> Well, I think you'd, you'd have to beat them the first week, so that'd be the third time. I think once if you and then um, they're literally on the back foot. Then I think Penrith would assume clearly favouritism at that point, and they would be the team to beat. Um, yeah. So look, if we can look either way, you, you know, you've, it, it's a it's a tough battle to get to that grand final qualifying game either way. Um, but I, 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 I'm a bit of a I look at the, the history and the data and it says, you, you know, you've got to be in that top four. But as I said, this may be the year where one of the other teams can come well, through. Yeah, we know that records are made to be broken. We saw the Storm equaling an all-time win streak record this year before Parramatta bumped them down uh, in that huge match uh, back in round 24. So, yeah, history is, is there to be made and, and reforged and, and whatnot. And like you said, Bernie, at some point there will be a team outside the top four that will go on and, and raise the premiership. And that could, this year's been crazy enough that it could be this year. That's my point, yeah. All right, let's change gears just for a little bit and uh, take a look at our opposition for the first week of the finals in the Newcastle Knights. They're a team that's probably fro- uh, flown a little bit under the radar in terms of their premiership hopes and, and being a contender. And part of that's due to a significant run of injuries that they sustained in the early mid-year. Uh, I think it was sort of post-origin when they finally started getting a lot of their key players back and healthy. Uh, in particular, Mitchell Pearce and Kalen Ponga. How do you rate the team they've named this week and, and where are you sort of looking at them and saying, all right, that's where the Eels have to be sharp? Yeah, look, the reality is Newcastle's for and against is woeful. Um, Nearly negative 150, I believe, yeah. They're up around negative 150. Uh, if you look at their attacking uh, points for, for a team that has Ponga and Pearce, um, their attack, their number of points scored this year has been very poor. Now, you can come back to that and say, well, Ponger and Pierce rarely play together because of injuries and whatever, and that has been the case this year. So that's clearly a contributing factor to why they really haven't scored the points they should have. Look, they've got, a, they've got nearly their strongest team on this year. The only two players that would potentially make it would be Lachlan Fitzgibbon would make it. I'm a, I'm a fan of Lachlan Fitzgibbon. I think he's a good back rower and Edric Lee, but 
Otherwise, they're going to be at reasonably full strength. They've got the Sofiti brothers back in the, the front row, which adds to the physicality and size of, of their team. Um, I think they'd be looking to uh, Tyson Frizzell, who's had a solid season, but I don't think a great season. They'd be looking to him as a, as a senior representative player to step up. Uh, Jaden Braley's, I think, a, a really good player. Mitch Barnett's a strong player. Look, but when I look at their team next to ours, I think we can dominate them through the middle of the field. What they do have, the danger is no secret. It's the, it's Pierce and Ponga. Now, if Ponga just explodes on the day and Pierce has good kicking and good pressure and good passing and gets them to the points on the field they need to get to, if those two play out of their skin, they're, they're going to be difficult to beat. But I think to do that, they need to have a platform in the middle of the field and I think we'll hopefully dominate them in the middle of the field. They're a good side, but they're not an elite side. Um, they're not Melbourne or Penrith or, or South when they're at full strength um, so or Manly. So whilst they're a good, solid team, um, the reality is I, I think we'll beat them. I think that's an even assessment. And uh, just now back on the Eels, uh, because we just had the team list came out yesterday, um, there's been some interesting selection decisions that we've touched on. And we also touched on uh, Murata and your renowned for having a very high opinion of Murata. Uh, he's on the edge. So how, do you rate him a, a, a greater threat to an opposition team when he's playing on our edge or on our mid, in our middle? Look, he can play in the middle because he is such a dominating physical presence and he has very good foot speed through the middle of the field. So when, he, when he's taking the ball one off, one off the dummy half on the advantage line or he's coming off a flat first receiver... He's, of course, he's very effective, but I think I'm a big fan for young players, young forwards that are very big and mobile, starting their careers on the edge because you don't get faster as you get older, you get slower. <laughs> yeah, so the reality is my, my experience has been that, that that's why centers go to the back rowers and then back rowers go to the front row. There's an evolution there as you get slower and bigger and tougher and the whatever. The process. The middle of the field. It's like a, it's like a magnet. It attracts them to the field. So I'm a big believer in players playing as long as they can on the edge. The other thing around the edge play, and I love Murata on the edge, because one of the lost arts in, the, in, in modern rugby league is players actually spearing into holes off, off ball players. They, we tend to like to outstrip defences with numbers these days, but I still love players that five times they'll spear into a hole and get tackled, but the sixth time they'll spear into that hole and they'll come out the other side. So I love hole runners. Murata's a very good hole runner. He's very big, mobile. He's also shown from when he's played at right centre that he's got very good hands. He He's set up a number of tries. He's got good instincts down that, yeah. that right-hand side. He's given Fergo a few tries this year. The other thing around back row players, I'd like to see Murata and Lane on the edge. Um I like back rowers to play 80 minutes. Now, that may not happen this week, depending on how Brad wants to play Papa Lee. He may, he may want to bring him onto the edge. Um, the good thing about edge players, and the good, good teams do this, like the Storm and the Roosters, they play their edges 80 minutes because it simplifies the rotation. Then you've just got two front rowers, you've got another roving forward, and you've got usually a utility. But um, we may, you know, this week we may have Murata on the right, and we may we may have Papa Lee coming on for Lane on the left. I'm not as down on Lane as some people seem to be. I think Lane is still a very good player, and and when he he's a big physical presence on the edge as well. So when when Newcastle have the ball and they look up and they see our our middles, and then they see Lane on the left, 
Marada on the right, they'll be looking at the land of the Giants. And when you set a defensive line, size is important. Phil Gould once told me years ago, it's why he picked big 5.8s in origin. He said, when the attacking team looks up, I want them to see big players and not much space. So this week, we should, we'll should we have a very big defensive line confronting the confronting the Knights. So back to Murata, um, I think he's a terrific player. I've heard a few whispers that other clubs are after him. That doesn't surprise no, me. not at all, yeah. But he has to be an ad, you know, given that he's a local junior, we've brought him through, he's a wonderful young man. Um, he's the type of player that should be the for another eight, nine years. Yeah, it feels like the NRL has slept on Murata for a little bit, but now they've sort of woken up to his... Uh, impact on the game, and I think we've seen the Dragons and the Warriors being linked to him recently in the media, so hopefully the Eels can uh, lock him up for a good time, because he is a, a huge part of why this team's been so successful, and I think the favourite part of his game for me is that he is such a tone setter physically, uh, he, he really just when he runs the ball, and, and even more so on defence, he just whacks the opposition and it really galvanises his men on either, on either shoulder and I think you know, the biggest beneficiary maybe is being young Will Penasini yeah, everything you said there is one hundred percent right, and you know he's got that physical presence about him. And rugby league, by definition, is a physical game. You have to physically intimidate the opposition within yep. the context of the rules. Um, so yeah, I am a huge fan. Plus, he's just a great clubman. He's no trouble. I know Brad's a huge fan of that. That's indicative of the fact that he's going to start even, you know, the biggest game of the year for us this week. And I just hope he has a terrific game. And I think, I think, he'll, I think he'll have a terrific game. And that's in no way underrating. Um, Ryan Madison because Ryan's just been out for three or four weeks and he's just he'd have been in that 17 somewhere had he been healthy I've no doubt but uh, yeah he's just a victim of uh, timing yeah and that that's a one of the fascinating aspects of sport is timing you know Maddo was one of the first picked 13, in the 13 every week but he gets suspended the Eels go on and have that huge you know symbolic victory against Melbourne and now you know the, the algorithm just changes ever so slightly coming into the final so that like you said Bernie not a slur on Maddo but more uh, recognition and praise to the the team that lifted in his absence due to that suspension. Absolutely. Now, speaking of uh, young Will Penasini, you already noted earlier in the podcast that he'd won that centre position ahead of Tom Opachik, which is a massive reward for an outstanding, if if albeit brief, campaign for Will. Uh, but he's progressed a lot faster than a lot of people would have expected, and I attribute part of that to the almost insane opposition he's lined up against in 2021 in both New South Wales Cup and in the NRL, uh, and you even mentioned that running battle, that, that terrific tussle that he had with Justin Olam. But even going back to the Cup this year, he, he faced in what would be considered an all-star lineup almost week after week there. How have you sort of seen his projection and, and his journey to becoming the young player that he is now in the NRL? Well, similar to you guys, I saw Will play a lot of junior rep football. Um, and he was always viewed as special, not just because he had clear, you know, athletic talent, but he was a very level-headed young man. Um, he goes to Kings, um, so the, the club always had a high opinion of Will. I also am one where he's, to me, he's probably developed quicker than I thought he would. I thought he may take a while to gravitate through to the NRL. The NRL's tough. It's not an easy league to come into when you're young and and, and look comfortable and at home. I think he's earned his spot. He, as, we, as we talked about, he's been physically very strong, particularly against a player like Justin Ollum. He reads defence well, and he'll need to read defence well this week too because I can just see Ponga sweeping around that left side off block plays off Mitchell Pearce, and, you know, Ponga favours the left side, which is our right side, which is which is where Will is. Will will need to be talking to Murata, um, 
and Mitchell on the inside and also to Fergo on the outside. So, yeah, this is going to be a huge week for Will, but I, I couldn't be happier for him and his family that he's had such a great first year in first grade. And, uh, you know, there was a lot of talk about uh, Suwali and he's going to be a great player at the Roosters and they're both at Kings at the same time. Um, and very, very unfortunate that, that Suwali's been injured. But, I mean, two great young players and great young men coming out of Kings in uh, North Parramatta and uh, the Eels are very fortunate. We've got Will Pernasini. And the other point I make about Will is that for a young guy, when they when, when we're on kick reception, he invariably takes one of the first yeah, few hit ups. He gets back and, do, and does that hard work yeah. early on. That's with those. They're, they're often the toughest hit ups because half your team's not back on side yet. You're back there. The other team are uh, champing at the bit and they're getting off the line. They're teeing off. They're trying to smash you because they want to dominate you and, and take advantage of their long kick. So I'm always looking for the players that go back. It's, you know, I remember back to Bradley Clyde. He was unbelievable. He'd always get back for one of the first two hit-ups, um, Bradley Clyde. But I've just noticed with Will Pernasini, he he will race back and he will be one of the first two to take, which for a young guy is, from a, from a mental perspective, very, very impressive. I think it speaks a lot to how they've been toughened uh, up as as players through their involvement in the uh, in in training with the NRL squad this year because um, just seeing them uh, well earlier in the preseason there was you know what it's like in the in the preseason some of the opposed sessions are almost as physical as uh, an NRL game and um, I, I thought it shone out as well with uh, Samuel Loizu in that uh, in his brief. Uh, few runs against the Panthers where he really um, took those hit-ups, similar to what you talked about with Will, and there was a real physicality about the way he went about that. Yeah, there was, and I think that's, you know, that's how that's been part of the junior rep program. There's an expectation on those, you know, you know, your backfire players that they've got to commit to taking those tough runs, which has been drilled into them, which is a very good thing, but it's, uh, you know, Paramount has taken a bit of flack over the years about not keeping and developing their young guys, so to see Guys like Penasini, Jake Arthur, Sam Loizu, Sean Russell, Hayes Dunster, and and even when you take that next level above them, um, you know the the Murata and Neocores. To see these guys gravitating in and becoming, you know, getting their first grade spots is it's a terrific thing, and it it just shows development doesn't happen quickly. It takes time, but it's great to see those young players coming through and. You know, Parramatta is, you know, they've got a number of local juniors now. Like Mitch Moses is a Parramatta local junior. Nathan Brown's a local junior. Ryan Madison's a local junior. Junior Paulo's a local junior. Um, Reed Marnie has come through our junior rep program. Dylan Brown's come through our junior rep program. So in addition to all those other players I just mentioned, there's a good crop of what I will call Parramatta players that are coming through the system. And... You know, whether we haven't probably optimised yet where this where we're going to go, obviously, as a club and as a, and particularly this team. But it's really good to see these young guys coming through because they, they care about the club and they care about the jersey and that manifests in their performance. Yeah, and, and that's, that's to a good point because it's um, – and for some of them who aren't even, say, ones that have come through our, um, our, our junior reps but have actually been Parramatta developed – and uh, Ray Stone was one that you'd say was Parramatta developed because he was originally uh, West Tigers, but came along in the in the twenty ones. Um, Marada, who we picked up as a twenty year old, and again was uh, developed with a 
good 18 months in lower grades before he made his debut then we then we start to look at um making uh getting a first grade debut from someone who's even a bit older like Makahesi Makatoa so he's he's actually been with the club on a second tier deal since last year but um was really able to showcase his wares and and really get that full development now in this his second year with the club and uh yeah it does speak a lot to the way that players have been developed at the club so uh, and, and I suppose that's the challenge, isn't it? When you've got players that you're developing and then um, there's a, a, a focus on getting the retention right as well as uh, that recruitment aspect of it. But you've got to get the, re- you know, there's the recruitment piece, there's the retention piece and what layers over that like an umbrella is your salary cap management. Yeah. Um, you have to get that entire piece correct. Um, I just I, I just think it's terrific when you see the young these younger players Coming in and, and, you know, they're going to make their mistakes. That's part of the learning curve of becoming a, a, a week-to-week NRL player. But it's good to see those young players coming through. The The reality is now is that, excuse me, a lot of other clubs now have suddenly realised and they've been devoid of uh, what I call meaningful development. Uh, Phil Gould's gone into the Bulldogs now. He's identified that as an area they clearly need to improve, particularly based on his experience with the Panthers where they've been a legitimate development club. Um, as you guys know, we've been on this development club pathway for four to f- for probably five or so years now. Um, as I said, it takes time. Now you've got other clubs like the Broncos have probably neglected their development. Um, the West Tigers realise they need to, to do development better. The Cowboys, all these clubs that are down, they suddenly realise, yeah, we're going to dedicate more money to development. So it's going to be an even tougher market to ensure you keep the young players you want to keep but also go out and recruit the odd player, such as a Dylan Brown, that you want to bring into your club. Um, they're going to be very, very keenly sought. Clubs are going to spend more money in the area of setting up appropriate elite pathways. So it's going to become an even more competitive market for the very good 15 to 18-year-olds. And that's an area where you know, we've started that at Parramatta over the last five years, but we will need to be very diligent to make sure that we're all over that and we're dedicating appropriate resources because my observation and talking to people around the NRL, all the other clubs are going to up the ante in that space of finding the very best players and developing them because at the end of the day in a salary cap league, if you don't have an appropriate percentage of your players gravitating through to the top 30 that have come through your pathway system, whether being brought into the pathways or through your juniors, then you're you're not to be able to develop a roster that is salary cap friendly. You're just not. Now, you look at the Panthers. For the biggest junior league, a number of their players have come from the outside. Fisher-Harris, Burton, Staines. You know, they've got a number of local juniors, but they've got just as many players that have that have come into their junior rep program from outside. Now, that's very good junior rep recruitment. And then once those players are in that system, they learn to be, for example, in that, they learn to be a Panther and they then gravitate through and they really care for the club and care for the jersey. But back to my original point, we're seeing that now with that slew of young players married to the fact that you've got some older, more experienced guys um, who, you know, like your Moses and your Paulos and, and your Browns and your Madisons, that have uh, they're actually local Parramatta juniors. 
Yeah. Um, now, let's get to the specifics of this week. How do the Eels beat the Knights this week? What are we going to? How are we going to play? What do we need to do to beat them? When you get to the playoffs, you don't want to reinvent the wheel. You want to do what's got you there and accentuate what you do well. So we have to get back to – we will not get back to, but basically replicate what we did against the Storm, which is what we'll call Parramatta footy. And, you know, there's, there's a, a few basic components there. You, the one thing is if you do all the fundamentals well in a game of football, you don't necessarily win. But I'll guarantee you if you don't do them, you'll lose. So. Yeah. And the things Parramatta have to do are the things we do well. We have to go into that game with a, an intention, number one, to dominate the middle, power running through the middle, with, and we want good push-up with Gutherson, Brown and Moses. That's number one. Number two, aggressive defensively. We have to have good line speed, get off the line, and get our shoulders busy and get into them in a, in, within the context of the rules. Number three is we have to be disciplined. It's no good dominating the three or four three or four. First three or four tackles in a set, getting off the line quick, knocking them over, dominating the play of the ball, and then we give away a penalty or a six again on the fourth tackle. That's poor discipline. You cannot let them off the hook. And the last thing, which may be the most important thing, is the kicking. The long kicking for field possession, it builds pressure. Against good teams, you have to be patient. Kicking helps be patient. It helps build pressure. It builds field position and sets you up for the capability to win. Our short kicking game, the repeat sets, can't be kicking the ball regularly over the side, over the touch, over the in goal area, and giving them seven tackle sets. It's all about building pressure with your long kicking game and short kicking game. If we can do those four things well, and playing with high energy, we will set ourselves up for victory. Now, it may not mean it doesn't guarantee nothing guarantees victory, but I'll guarantee if Parramatta doesn't do those four things, we probably won't win. Yeah, and it's interesting that you say that too, Bernie, because. My point when Parramatta was going through a, a that bad patch of form for a number of weeks was that we weren't playing anything that looked like we'll call Parramatta footy, that all of those basics weren't happening. And um, for whatever reason, whether that's a headspace issue or, or whatever, but we strayed from Parramatta footy. And as you say, it's it's a lot of that Parramatta footy is that basics, but it's doing it at a level where we impose ourselves on the opposition. Absolutely. You have to go out and attack this game. You know, Mitchell and Dylan, particularly as your two halves, they need to attack the game. They need to attack the Knights' defensive line. So as well as our big forwards rumbling over the advantage line and being aggressive in defence, Mitchell and Dylan have to play off the back of that. They've got to run. I would love to see Dylan and Mitchell... Um, um, a few more times, play the show and go. Dylan Brown particularly has – he's got a beautiful show and go, but he, does, he uses it about once a game. Um, yeah. he, in many ways, Dylan needs to be a little more selfish because he's a devastating runner and his show and go is, is terrific. The one thing we can't do with the Knights is attempt to pass our way around them. There's no easy way to victory in big football games. You, you have to go through the middle and dominate them physically. Don't attempt – to play trick shots and try and go around them. So um, a couple of other little things. I think Ferguson and Dunster are, 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 will be very good out of the backfield. I just think, though, they, when they sometimes when they run out of the backfield, they're getting the ball way too close to the play the ball. They need to get out another two or three yards wider to give themselves a little bit of space. The other thing this week that will be critical will be the bench rotation. We need to get that bench rotation well, and I'm confident Brad will. Um, you know, I think 
just keep it in a real simple way. Papalia Makatawa will rest Paulow and Campbell Gillard. Maybe for a little while you may get Papalia on an edge and maybe Lane's pushed to the middle. Um, I think uh, Cartwright coming on as a raving 13 is good. And I'd like to see um, Will Smith come on and give Ray Stone a rest. And I'd actually, I think, uh, you know, Stoney for the first 20 minutes um, and then bringing on Smith, who's, you know, Will's got good, good foot speed. He can dart around and play with energy around that play of the ball. And that's after, you know, Stoney's pulverised a few of the nights in the first 20 minutes. <laughs> yeah, and you know what? I reckon Will Smith's defence is underrated. Well, well, he he, be, he was fearless against the Panthers. I'll tell you what. Yeah, well, the other Will Smith. Will Smith technically is another very strong defender. Uh, Stone's terrific. I think he'll turn a few knights into peasants with a bit of luck. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you already gave him praise for it, but he is one of the most pristine uh, tacklers in terms of technique that you you would have seen in the, at least the modern era. And I know you threw out you threw out some of those throwback names, but yeah. well, in the modern game, the, the, the traditional defensive technique is to stay upright. You hit you hold, you wrap, and then you have the third man in, and then you lower into the ground, and that's that's the technique they're taught. They're not necessarily taught to be aggressive shoulder hitters basically up under the football. Now, that's that's what Ray does, and I, I may be a bit, of, a bit of a dinosaur here, but I still think it's the most effective way to tackle because, believe me, as a player, they would not like to look up and run directly at Ray Stone. Well, James Fisher-Harris is feeling it, and you know, he's the competition's form prop, so it shows you how good a hitter... Stony is, but uh, on, on on that note, let's put a ribbon on this uh, wonderful chat that we've had with you, Bernie. How do you see things playing out on Sunday? You already sort of outlined our path to victory and, and what pitfalls could potentially uh, trap the Eels on that journey. But uh, when all is said and done, full time, how do you see this one playing out? Yeah, it's hard to put a scoreline around any of these games, but I definitely see it. I think the Eels are going to be right up for this. I think we're going to play with high energy. I think we're going to play patiently. Mitchell Moses, in nearly every interview I've heard this year from Mitch, he's talked about playing with patience. I think if we can, if he can main, make sure the team does play with that patience and do the things we do well, um, I, I'm pretty confident, very confident, actually, that, that the Eels will win. And can we get a bit of a, a tip on some of the uh, other games this weekend? We've, um, we've got the uh, Panthers taking on the uh, Rabbitohs. What's your tip on that one? I think the Panthers will win that game. I think South will miss Latrell Mitchell enormously in such a big game because, you know, Mitchell, for all, you know, I know he's a polarising figure in the game, but at the end of the day, he's a great rugby league oh, player. There is no doubt in his talent. He is a game changer. He's a difference maker. And and even when you're sitting in the locker room, when those players are sitting in that locker room putting their boots on and then when they get up and, and they get the two-minute call to run out, when those South players look around and they see Latrell Mitchell, I'll guarantee you he gives them a monumental boost of confidence and belief. They won't have him this week. I think uh, I think Blake Taft's a really good young player. Um, I personally would have put Alex Johnson at the back. That's my personal opinion in, in such a big game. But, yeah, I, I think the Panthers are timing their run perfectly. I think they, to me, are going to be very, very hard to beat. So I think Panthers will beat the Rabbitohs this weekend. Okay, we've got the Storm and Manly. What, what about that one? We've, you've certainly got uh, Tommy Turbo in ridiculous form, absolutely ridiculous. Well, Manly won 16 of the last 20 games. That's an 80% win record. I don't think anyone's got that record outside of them. But in the, having said all that, they've played a lot of easy games too. You know, they've played teams that they knew they could beat in you know, second or third gear. 
Um, I think it'll be an absolutely riveting game, this. It, the real challenge for Manly is, because Melbourne are going to be up for this, you know, they're getting been getting a little bit of criticism, haven't been playing that well. And even if even if Munster's out, um, they've still got Nico Hines that could come in and play there. Pappenhausen's developing. I don't think he's back to his best form, contrary to what some people are saying. He was good last week, but he wasn't yet the Pappenhausen of old, but he's he's hopefully improving for their sake. Um, this will be a fascinating game. The challenge here is you know Melbourne are going to play well, and their good players will play well. The challenge for Manly in a high-intensity semi-final game whether their defence will hold up if Melbourne get 50% of possession or more. Melbourne, uh, Manly have a lot of young forwards. Uh, they've got, you know, they've got uh, Paseca and they've got uh, Okolawatu. Um, they've got some young forwards in there and some young players in their team. It's interesting to see how they hold up defensively. If I had to make a tip, I'd say Melbourne just, but it wouldn't surprise me if Manly upset them with the attacking power of, you know, Turbo and, and the other players in their team. It really shapes up as probably, obviously, we're invested heavily in the Parramatta result, but it shapes up as the most fascinating fixture on the first week of the finals, I feel like. It, I think it's an absolutely fascinating game. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a terrific... Well, the, the, um, the match that I think is um, could yet be the most interesting is the Roosters against the Titans. The, the Roosters have far exceeded what I thought they were going to be capable of with the injury toll that they've gone through this year. And they're um, taking on a Titans team, which has always promised but not delivered. Uh, where do you see that game going? Look, I think it's 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 extra, it's really good timing that the Roosters get Jared Warrior Hargraves. He's their alpha male. He's the man that leads them. And again, uh, Radley comes back with him as well. So when you have Warrior uh, Hargraves and Radley suiting up next to those other players and they look around the locker room and they've been training all week, their belief and confidence is going to be very good. Trent Robinson knows how to win playoff games. He's an absolutely elite coach. So he knows how to prepare them. And with the leadership of Warrior Hargraves and Tedesco, not to mention the magnificent playing ability of Tedesco, the Roosters will be ready. They're not going to let this slip, particularly... Uh, in an elimination game, Trent Robbins are going to have to have them mentally focused. I see them playing with a lot of energy. They don't have a great kicking game, the Roosters, um, but they have a lot of other pluses to their game. When you look at their forward pack of Radley, Crichton, Tupanilla, Warrior uh, Hargraves, uh, Siwa, Takiaho, Verrills, it's a very, very formidable forward yeah, pack. It's up there for the best in the comp, for sure. They'll take... Um, the Titans on through the forwards. They want to dominate through the forwards. And then they can play off the back of that with Tedesco. I see a young Walker coming off the bench and being and, and having a bit of an impact for them. So, um, or he may even start, who knows? Um, I think the Roosters' professionalism and just the strength of their forward pack uh, will win the day for the Roosters. The Titans are dangerous, but the Titans have not proven against very good teams that they can defend well for long periods yeah. of a game. That, that is the big mark against them, isn't it? It has been all season and even dating back to last year. One thing I'll tell you, the Roosters have, have got Craig Fitzgibbon, who's a magnificent defensive coach, um, Trent Robinson's defensive-oriented coach. I think in this particular game, the Roosters will be right on defensively, and I'd be very surprised if the Roosters don't win. Well, thanks for running your eye over those uh, other three finals fixtures, Bernie, which means you've got... I believe I get this correctly, you'll have the Panthers beating the Rabbitohs, the Roosters knocking over the Titans, and then the Storm and the Seagulls is the real coin flip game. And yeah, that, that one has a lot 
at play in terms of who's going to win. And I, yeah, it, it is pretty much too close to call. So it'll be easily the most exciting game to watch. And then you get that one at Friday at 7.50pm, which is going to be a great way to start the weekend. Absolutely. I think it's going to be a fascinating weekend. I think the whole, all, the entire playoffs are going to be, be fascinating. Yeah, I mean, you already mentioned it, that there were six teams really that stood out this year and, and part of that has been the narrative created about being a weaker comp. But if anything, it means that the finals are that much more competitive. If it's got six really strong teams, now you're going to have an absolute you know cracker of a final series. So really looking forward to seeing how that plays out. And as well, always, the web, sorry, you go. The web out of the top four teams this week, they're not going to be looking forward to playing the two winners, who I think will be the Eels and the Roosters. They're going to be coming off their their confidence built further, even 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 bigger. So I think if you lose in the top four, those games in week two are going to be absolutely riveting. No, excellent, excellent observation. And yeah, hopefully we'll be there to uh, see who we're taking on, whether it's the Panthers or the Rabbitohs, if we can get past Newcastle, which sets up a, a fascinating, either way, a fascinating uh, clash for Parramatta because you've got the huge derby against Penrith if they drop down, uh, as unlikely as that seems. And, and then there's that revenge fixture against the Rabbitohs from 2020 finals and even just their recent run of form against us in general. So two... Uh, Parramatta owe the Rabbitohs one. Yes, yes, that is the most succinct and uh, ideal way of putting it. I think we do owe Rabbitohs a very big one there. But I think we'll wrap it up there, Bernie. Uh, thanks for coming on and chatting footy for us for far too long of your time. We are always grateful for you uh, being so gracious. And, yeah, it, it is just a blast to be able to talk footy and talk Parramatta with you. So thank you, mate. My pleasure, boys. Thanks, mate. Well, as always, 60s, our chats with Bernie are incredibly illuminating. And it feels like he sort of leaves no stone left unturned in terms of these previews, and we're really grateful for that. But it sort of makes us a little bit redundant when it comes to our previews, which we don't mind. Uh, Obviously, chatting with Bernie is a huge pleasure and a a real perk of the tip sheet. But we do try to inform fans a little bit of the matchups that we think we can uh, look forward to in the contest. So we'll do our own preview very briefly, and we'll jump straight into the team sheets. We'll start with the Newcastle Knights. If uh, Kalen Ponga at fullback for the Novocastrians. On the wings, they've got Anari Tuala and Heimel Hunt. In the centre is the utility Kurt Mann holding down one side of the young star Bradman Best on the other edge. Uh, in the halves, you've got Jake Clifford, a mid-season recruit for the Knights, partnering Mitchell Pierce. Uh, in the front row, you don't see this too often, but twin brothers, the Jacob and Daniel Sofiti combination coming together to start as bookends on either side of Jaden Browley, who will captain the team. In the back row, uh, Tyson Frizzell and Mitchell Barnett will play on the edges. Connor Watson as that small ball lock forward and also their utility, I suppose. On the bench, I think they've gone for four props here. Yes, they have. Uh, Suasu Su, David Clemmer, Josh King, and Brody Jones round out a, a big, big bench. Their extended options include Phoenix Crossland, uh, Jira Momoisia, uh, Simi Sasagi, and Jack Johns. I mean, we've already spoken about who the uh, dangers are in that Newcastle team with Bernie 60s, but looking at team list, anything jump out to you, both positive or negative? Well, obviously they've gone for the the size to counter what is going to be Parramatta's likely attack, which is that dominance through the middle. And uh, they've got their coverage really with Connor Watson. So if they do pick up an injury in the back line, that that it would just be a little bit of a reshuffle of Connor Watson shifting out to the the backs. He's he's quite the utility, could play a number of positions. So um, they've got that covered. Oh, look, it's it's one of those games where you, you look at the opposition and you go, okay, they've underperformed during this season without question. And we touched on it with Bernie that there were combinations that 
depth of players that weren't able to play together as often this year. For example, Pierce and Ponga. I'm a I'm a big admirer of Bradman Best. I I think he's a he, he's just a powerhouse. He is a chunky the, boy, isn't the, he? Just the absolutely. So, um, if, if I'm looking at the dangers, I'm obviously looking at the the half, the fullback, and uh, the centre, and uh, and I'm I'm always a bit worried, weary of um, uh, wary, I should say, of uh, of Tyson Frizzell. You could be weary of him too if he, if he's had too many good performances, I suppose. <laughs> that's true. That's true. But um, look, they're they're the players that that really stand out. Um, they're they're solid players outside of that. And of course, you 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 can't go past uh, having a prop that's played Origin this year. So uh, Saifidi is obviously a um, uh, someone that has to be um, dominated by the Eels middle. But, um, yeah, look, they're a solid team. I think I tipped them at the start of the year to be in the eight, but I I had them as a as a fringe qualifier. I think that's how it's turned out yeah, me too. to be. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I'd never take any match against the Knights for granted. Uh, I think any time we beat them, we owe them one anyway, yeah, because they, yeah. Because they do have the that, legacy uh, that dating back twenty years. Yes. yes, sir. And this is a, a good anniversary to erase that or go some way towards erasing the uh, memory of that unfortunate loss. And to do so, the Eels will look like this. Um, having rested, I think it was nine starters against the Penrith Panthers, and unfortunately, the best laid plans of mice and men off go astray because you rest all these starters. You play one of your core players in, in Joey Lussick. He gets through that game unscathed and then picks up an injury at training. Uh, just football and luck, you know, go hand in hand, don't they? And unfortunately for the Eels, they'll be without the services of Joey Lussick for at least one game. The injury report uh, said one to two weeks. NRL physio said one to three weeks, depending on the severity of a calf strain. And it means that the Eels have had to come up with a pretty unique solution now uh, to address their dummy half problem. No Reed Marnie, no Joey Lussick, no Nathaniel Roach. It's not often that you go three deep into your dummy half rotation and, and still have to look even deeper, mate. Yeah, yeah. When you're, when you're talking about a, your injury list and when outside of it, it's really just um, uh, having uh, Mike Acevo injured. Like, say, you've got, yep. you got three dummy halves and a winger. That are unavailable. Yeah, I mean, just, that's 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 <laughs> extraordinary to have uh, four players unavailable and three of them just happen to be dummy they, halves. They talk about Sterlo's cursing the number seven jersey. Might have to start talking about the number nine jersey, mate, for a different yeah, reason. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah. yes, the Eels to take on the Knights. They look like this as always at fullback and captain the team Clinton Gufferson on the wings. Hayes Dunster playing down that left edge now after making that adjustment recently with Blake Ferguson on the right in the centres. Will Penasini and Wanga Blake and sets up that uh, salivating clash between the two young stars in the centres, Panasini and Best. In the halves, Dylan Brown partners Mitchell Moses. Reagan Campbell guards back baby. He's in the front row with the number eight jersey on his back, working alongside Junior Paul as one of the best one-two punches in the competition. At dummy half, uh, arguably the Eels' best player on the field. That's how we graded him, at least in our match review 60s. Ray Stone showing his utility talents. He'll start at dummy half, bring plenty of oomph to the defence uh, one way or another. And, 
I think his service late in that game against Penrith was pretty pristine, honestly, given that he'd taken up a huge workload. So uh, good signs coming into this at the very least. In the back row, we already talked about it, but Sean Lane has won that starting berth over Ryan Madison, right near Corey, given the nod at right edge by Brad Arthur in a move that we've all sort of unilaterally agreed is a great one between yourself, myself, and Bernie. Nathan Brown is the locked forward and uh, probably the talismanic figure in defense. On the bench, Will Smith will work with Ray Stone as that one-two utility rotation at dummy half. Bryce Cartwright, Isaiah Papali'i, and Makahesi Makatoa round out your interchange spots. Extended roster features Ryan Madison, Oregon Kafusi, Tom Opachuk, and Jake Arthur. Uh, I mean, there is a little bit, there is a little bit of room for some uh, late uh, pre-game shenanigans, I suppose, with Ryan Madison and even Oregon Kafusi. But like you said, sixties, uh, Brad is uh, not much of a bluffer when it comes to Teamless Tuesday. He's pretty. Uh, Straight shooting, he uh, names his one to seventeen, and if injury doesn't impact him, he plays his one to seventeen. Yeah, but isn't it extraordinary to see three players who were regular features in the uh, in the top seventeen through the season, uh, and two of them actually in the top thirteen in the season in mm-hmm. Ryan Madison, Oregon Kafusi, and Tom Opachik. Uh None of them being able to find their way into the seventeen this week. It's it it reflects on having to make some big calls mm-hmm. on the on Teamless Tuesday yesterday. Yep, and you know it just shows you how much footy can be played in a season. That seems like a silly statement, but like you said, these guys were straight up first pick players, uh, particularly in the case of Madison Opachik, who, as you alluded to, were the two starters in that thirteen man uh, unit. But you know, injury suspension, th- those things are open doors. You know, in, in baseball, you, you call it getting Wally pipped. You know, the someone can come in and just seize an opportunity. And you look at Will Penasini, and that is someone that has come in and seized an opportunity. You look at Makahesi Makatoa, a guy that we banged the drums for uh, across the season for his phenomenal efforts in the Cup. He got a taste of first grade, and he's not let it go. You know, these guys got just that one shot. And and obviously, in Will's chance, he was in Will's sorry favor. He was always going to be a long term in a position, but. He, he moved the, the clock forward so much because he came in and he defended strongly, he ran strongly, and he just hasn't looked out of sorts. And just, yeah, a fascinating twist to the uh, formula for the Parramatta Reels. And I, I don't doubt if we get past the Newcastle Knights that Ryan Madison will you know strongly feature in selection calculations for the following team list Tuesday. But you can see where Brad Arthur's come from here because this is the team that beat Melbourne plus Reagan Campbell-Gillard minus Joey Lusker Freestone in there as well. Like, pretty much. Like, in terms of the core positions, this is the, these are the guys that unlocked uh, a means and, and, a, and a want, uh, you know, a want to to beat Melbourne that you need to win the premiership. And I can understand why Brad has backed them. Yeah, and as I was, uh, as we spoke about with Bernie, my thoughts on that was as soon as Brad made that decision that his starting back rowers were uh, going to be Murata and, uh, and Sean Lane, that it was going to make it very difficult for, Maddo to get a, a yes. spot on the bench because Cartwright has been uh, a regular feature on the bench because of that point of difference that he can offer. So uh, plus, I think plus the fact I think that choice that choice was really between Lane and Madison, wasn't it? For yes, I uh, agree. Who got the who got the nod? And Lane gives you the versatility to shift into the middle if needed as well. So yeah. that's a, a big check in his favour. And the other thing we didn't touch on, even though it's sort of taken as a given. 
with Reg back, you've got two starting props in Junior and, and RCG that can go 50 or 60 minutes, which means your bench minute bench minutes for the forwards are at an absolute premium. You know, you, you're really fighting to make an impact in the, a smallest role, like potentially a small role available. And you had you had an Azai Papa Lee on the bench, and he's a guy that's going to go 60 plus almost certainly. So that last, you know, two spots when we talk about Bryce, Bryce has literally carved the role out specializing in high impact, low minute roles for the Eels. And then you saw Mac- Hesse Makatoa do much the same in recent weeks. So, you know, th- there was argument for maybe Oregon Kafusi over Makatoa from the, you know, Oregon's last great start against Penrith, but it wasn't like the big Mac was terrible. He had a great game as well. So uh, I am completely on board of those decisions there. And yeah, and it, it just, it sets up a really physical clash against Newcastle. Ray Stone and dummy half means the Eels will probably play a little bit closer to the ruck in terms of their first receivers. You don't want to put undue pressure on either Stoney or Smith providing service from the base of the ruck because that's how you get, you know, stray passes that destabilize your attack. But at the same time, I don't mind that because playing closer to the ruck with Moses and, or I say Moses and Brown, but also Nathan Brown too and Junior Paulo, guys that we use as fulcrums for the backline movements outside of our, our six and seven. Um, we'll open up some more space out wide, arguably, for our centers and, and edge weapons. So I don't mind seeing that. I'm really keen to see the Eels play direct, you know, confrontational, uh, holding onto the ball and really controlling possession and field position against the Newcastle Knights. Yeah, uh, I'm just backtracking a little bit there. I, I'm, I'm also wondering, I've got the thought in the back of my mind about uh, Oregon Kafusi. He's had some head knocks recently. True. And including, I'm including that Penrith game. I mean, we, we glossed over played it. played a part. Yeah, we glossed yeah. over it, but including that Penrith game where he was on track for a 200 plus game in terms of meterage on the ground, but then got ruled out to a HIA. So that would almost certainly be a factor because it wasn't his only concussion this year. And we, we know that it's cumulative impact when you get multiple concussions in. It doesn't even have to be you know consecutive weeks, but just within a, a closest window of time. So the fact that you know he's in the, the wider team selection is a good thing, but I wouldn't be shocked if that was a deciding factor too, you know, give him another week off and then let him really compete for a spot against either the Rabbitohs or the Panthers. Okay. So mate, we've, we've had a bit of that, that chat with Bernie about how the Eels are likely to play this game. I, I don't, I don't know that I've got too much uh, that's different to add to it because I banged on about what para football should be uh, about that, that dominance through the middle, that winning, uh, the territory and possession through tighter control of the of, of the footy through the middle through getting good field position off the back of kicks high completion rates um, and then having your game plan on top of that that's that's designed to to, to beat your specific opposition but um, uh, yeah so look I I just see that it's going to be. Um, first and foremost, we the, the team worries about playing their own uh, type of football, the Parramatta style of football, and uh, I, I think if we execute as we should, then it's it, it, it will be a, um, a game that will be a bit too strong for Newcastle to handle. Agreed. And, I mean, Bernie already mentioned that in sudden death football, it can spit out really odd results, and you certainly don't go into this game underestimating Newcastle. But once again, focusing on what your team can do, if Parramatta plays to their strengths, if they control possession insofar as not coughing the ball up, you know, terribly, and, and they, you know, work the field position on the back of Mitchell Moses' kicking game, you do think that they'll come out ahead here. Yeah, and 
<clears throat> and and just for that, like a, a few individual observations. Uh, Gutho, we want to see him lurking around the ruck, looking to play off um, anything that's uh, presented through the forwards, uh, backing up breaks, the odd quick dart from dummy half. That's that that high energy, high involvement. Gutho is what we want to see sort of went away from that but it was back there against the storm we saw Fergo loves the big clashes and I think he remains that uh, he he's one of the closest to the a game breaker that we've got um and he certainly pil- pulled out some big moments against the storm we've been pretty happy with how Hayes has gone I think his carries from the backfield have maybe even been a little bit better than Sebo's uh, we spoke at length about Will Penasini. Wonga Blake's probably been one of the um, players out in the field that's carried a stretch of form with him over the back half of the season. Um, uh, Bernie uh, talked about the importance of Dylan Brown, Mitch Moses, that capacity to maybe play on the same side of the field occasionally that wouldn't go astray. Dylan backing himself a little bit more. We want to see all of that. Um, that impact, that one-two you spoke about with uh, Reg and Junior, uh, Stoney, we expect just that it, it'll be solid with the, the dummy half play. Uh, we're probably not going to see some of the nuanced dummy half play that you see from an experienced dummy half. We just need him to be solid with his delivery of Smash passes footy, and, baby. And, and, and bring the Ray Stone type of play defensively. Yep. Um, the the edges, as Bernie said, it's good to have that sort of size and capacity to hit the holes that we got with Lane and Yukore. Nathan Brown, he's had a week to rest up, get over some niggles that he's probably been carrying. And given the style of football that Nathan Brown plays, you know he's going to be carrying niggles through the season. You just know it. You don't you don't play a game with any thought of the way he does where there's no uh, thought of self-preservation. No yeah, so, would have been real banged um, up coming into the finals and that week off would be yeah. a massive burn for him. Yeah, and and it's an interesting call with uh, ice off the bench, and uh, and with reference back to what you were saying before about uh, being able to create the impact that he was had from earlier in the season. Where I think what what we were really getting at with Isaiah is that he went from being an impact player to being a workhorse. In, in the back half of the season. And, with and the he still, he still had playing. great runs. It's not like we're saying, you know, all of a sudden he, he's had no impact. It's just that you could see that transition happening, um, you know, and that part of that was because there was no Reagan Campbell-Gillard, right? That's our workhorse prop. Reg was banging out 150 metres a game, you know, every week. So you had to fill that void somehow, and, and I stepped up into that void, and well yeah. done for that. But now you've got the, the opportunity to – pushing back to being more of that impact role. And we've spoken about this at length throughout the, the duration of the tip sheet's life about the importance of bench forwards and how the stigma of being a bench forward should not exist in the NRL because your second rotation forwards often are the ones that can turn the tide. They can take a, either a losing contest or a tight contest and give you the ascendancy. And that's what Ice gives you off the bench. He's going to be an absolute weapon for the Eels. Yeah, and, and then... Uh, carrying that on across, of course, to uh, uh, Makahesi Makatoa, who we just you just know what you're going to get from him. He's going to he's going to cart the ball up maybe multiple times in one set. Um, very solid defensively. He's just a big body out there who uh, obviously is has 
not been phased by his elevation to the top grade. He's simply churning out the exact type of football that he was churning out in New South Wales Cup. Well, what a great transition for him. And it, and it also, look, he does play a very simple uh, style of footy. He just, it's like, carry the ball up hard, tackle hard. But that's, and that's he, the thing. He is executes that, that perfectly. Uh, so much of the value that a prop brings to a, a given game is not complex. It, it literally is distilled down to run hard, win the contest on that side of the ball, tackle hard, and win the contest on the other side of the ball. And Macca brings both of those in spades. He, you know, big engine. He's very, he, he's sneaky good at post contact because he looks a little bit rangy when you see him out there in the NRL. But, you know, he, opposition teams haven't been able to bring him down effectively, at least for the first month of his NRL career. Um, doesn't shirk his load in defense, so being a real positive addition to the Eels. And it is always great to see a guy make that jump and not just be an excellent reserve grader and then a mediocre first grader, Which because the, the jump to the NRL is significant. Sometimes that happens. But in Macca's case, he's sort of just brought his game and, like I said, gone about his business the way he would have won the New South Wales Cup. Yeah, and, and then, of course, the interesting thing will be how uh, BA decides to use both Will Smith and Bryce Cartwright off the bench, especially relating to how many minutes. So I'm expecting an earlier injection from uh, of Will Smith to maybe give uh, a, a bit of a break to uh, Stoney either side of half time. Yeah. So that may well be the case. Or um, and then uh, Bryce Cartwright. Well, where does he where does he get injected? I think he was at his most effective against the Storm, where he got a run just before half time, and then. Um, uh, was able to just show showcase his skills, just bring that point of difference a little bit earlier into the game. So I think there is a big um, argument to see a replication of that interchange process against Melbourne. You have to bear in mind that our, our interchanges are a little bit of a they're a bit of a commodity this week because you have the dummy half rotation going on, but. If you bring him on earlier for Lane, like you said, prior to half time, it then gives you enough middle on the bench to augment your middle rotation if you need to, because Lane can just transition from edge starter to middle rotation piece for later in the game. So I would like to see both Smith and Cartwright thrown into the fray earlier than we would usually see. Um, I think Smith could probably come in anywhere in the vicinity of like 30 minutes uh, into the game, sort of 10, 10, 10 plus minutes before half time. Uh, spell Stoney and let Stoney get that. You know, a good twenty minutes, thirty minutes of break before coming back into the torrid moments of the the late contest, and yeah, and just work from there because we know that Junior and Reg can go huge minutes. We know Nathan Brown can go big minutes, and we know Ice off the bench can go big minutes. So you've got a bit of a luxury amongst those positions at least. Yeah, and and I think when it comes to Sean Lane, that where a lot of supporters have been critical about uh, his performance tends to be once he hits that fatigue stage. Uh, I, I don't think he's been able to be an effective 80-minute player. Um, he's he's probably best suited in um, shorter stints where he... And, and because that, that tends to be reflected in uh, defensively, doesn't it? Where yeah. there's been some criticism about... Um, being caught out of position defensively, and that really, to me, is a is is a fatigue factor that tends to creep in in the the later part latter part of the halves with Sean Lane. So um, yeah, interesting to see how that how, how those sort of times are are worked out. So now we get to the pointy end, mate. Time to make the call. Yeah, make the big call. 
see how that you know the first big dance, hopefully the first of four for the Parramatta Eels, shakes down. Uh, I think I went on record last night uh, with the other boys with how Hamish, Hamish and Birdie uh, predicting a, a pretty strong Parramatta win to the tune of thirty to six. I want to say, um, and I think I went. Oh my goodness, who'd they go first try scorer? I think I might have gone Will Penasini first try scorer. But uh, in saying that, I, I'm feeling, uh, and I'll stick to those predictions, but I'm feeling a big game from Quentin Gufferson. I know we were critical of him during the, the team's overall slump. We felt that Guffo himself uh, was just not quite himself, whether there was an injury at play there or not. Uh, I, I tend to think there might have been. Uh, and then I think against Melbourne, you you said it just before, you saw him you know, show some good signs. There was a that touch on his finishing passes was back. The involvements were just all over the park. And I think he's primed for a real big one against the Novocastrians. Well, mate, you've given me a, a wonderful segue there because um, I'm going for Gutho as my first try scorer and I'm predicting a, an Eels 28-12 victory. Yeah, I, I, looking back on it, I think 28-12 is a better margin of victory than my uh, probably over, overly optimistic 30-6. Uh, to 6, But uh, this is... If the Eels do what they know they have to take care of, and, and you know it's very simple and, and execution's always harder than the planning process when it comes to professional sports, but if they take care of the things they can, uh, I think that uh, the victory margin will be somewhere between what we both predicted. So uh, here's hoping to the Eels doing exactly that, you know, just taking care of the football from the first minute to the last, um, you know, nullifying especially Ponga's impact, but also Mitchell Pierce's, and you know, just taking care of their own business because they do that. And I think they've just got too much class across the park, even without a recognised dummy half for Newcastle. Yep. Well, mate, that's, uh, let's let's hope that it all pans out as expected and that uh, around this time next week, we've got our listeners tuning in to uh, the preview of uh, week two of the finals. Yes, indeed.